0: Colossians chapter two, verse one. Paul is writing, we found last week that this is a letter that he wrote from prison. We know that this letter, is to the church in Colossae that he did not plant, that he is writing to. This community is a cultic, mystic, religious community that is just now finding out about Jesus through a man named Epaphras who started this this church. And so Paul has heard about it, so he writes them a letter and he sets some things straight in chapter one, and he's really gonna get heavy in chapter two. This is what we find, chapter two, verse one. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and many other believers who have never met me personally. Paul is letting us know that there are two churches that he did not plant that he's connected with, almost spiritually overseeing those churches, but he is not the one who started them. He doesn't pass with them directly. That is Colossae and Laodicea. Both of them have their issues. You find in Revelation that God is correcting them for having too much stuff and not enough Christ. They had a lot of building, had a lot of stuff, had a lot of money, but they didn't have Jesus anymore and left their first love. And Colossae, what he's gonna deal with today is deception. Let me just say this. There is no perfect church. That's called heaven. Can I get an Amen. Verse number two, I want them to be encouraged and knit together as strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. He's talking about these churches. He's talking about local believers, and he lets them know that they need to have a common bond, strong ties of love and so let me just say this before we go any further, that whatever church is in this community all over the world, believers in this community all over the world, we are not in competition with each other. We are together. We are one. We are on the same team. Can I, can I get a witness? And, and really, when, we, when I'm driving to church, I will drive past these churches, and many, many, many times... I stretch my hand forth to those church buildings, and I pray God fills them and increases their giving and increases their people and and blesses them and restores them and helps them and leads them because we're not the only church in town. It takes multiple churches to reach multiple people. Um, It's one church. He's building it, and at the end of the day, it's not really what was written over the door, what name was written on the sign. Really, it's what well, name was written on the heart and when we get to heaven that's all that's going to matter verse 3 i'm just moving slow I'm moving through this I want to get you to a few verses in a moment verse 3 in him paul takes a hard turn the the in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge verse 4 i am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well crafted arguments There were false teachers in the region of Colossae claiming to possess secret wisdom and transcendent knowledge available only to the intellectual few. And Paul wanted to clarify that from the foundation of all things, the foundation of all wisdom and knowledge comes from Christ alone. So then he goes on a little further, verse 6, and we're going somewhere today. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. You must continue to follow him. Verse number seven, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with Thankfulness. Now, I want you to get this image, and we're going to start working right here. Here's the image. Paul says, You need to let your faith grow down as roots so that you can build your life on top. He's giving the imagery that you cannot go up unless you first go down. You cannot build where everybody can see until you grow where everybody can't see. When you look at skyscrapers, the higher the skyscraper is, the deeper the foundation must be. And Paul is giving us the imagery that to be like a tree planted, Psalms 1-1 talks about, or Psalms chapter 1 lets us know to be a tree planted by rivers of living water. He then goes on to say that we then must grow in the truth. Grow in the truth. Paul is making sure that it is clear that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to grow in knowing the truth. Now, this is where we're going to work today. Y'all ready? If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we must grow in the truth. Back in the first century church, you could not be a follower of Jesus and not be growing in knowing the truth. It was imperative to following Jesus that you are growing in what the truth is. God's word, his ways, growing in the truth. He says, as the roots go down, so your life is built up and you will grow in the truth. Let me start here and say this, we need the truth. When the disciples asked Jesus when the end of the world was to come in Matthew 24, the first thing Jesus said back to them, he said, be careful so that nobody deceives you. Jesus didn't mention wars yet. He didn't mention rumors of wars. He didn't mention anything like that. What he did say was that before the end of the world comes, there will be mass misinformation are we living in it? Podcasts and blogs and videos and information. And at the time, it used to be public discourse. Now, information that we receive is digital and audio and podcasts and blogs and just mass misinformation. And can you just hear me today? There has always been and there will continue to always be an assault on truth. We, by default, don't want truth. We don't want light. The Bible says that the light came to Earth and men didn't want it. We didn't want to receive the truth. And in an attempt to remove truth from the planet Earth, we can look quickly through the pages of history and find that the truth has been banned. They banned the truth in schools. They ban the truth in courtrooms, which is only leading to us banning truth in our living rooms. Not only have we banned truth, but we have blocked truth. You can go all over the world today and find that certain media outlets won't allow certain things to be said or certain things to be done or certain ministries to be on their airways or even now you can get... Uh, flagged on social media for posting certain things that are too religious, and if somebody doesn't like it, you get canceled and blocked and flagged. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Truth has not only been blocked and not only been banned, but in history, truth has been burned. You can look where they've taken piles of Bibles and burned them. You can see through history where they burned churches and even burned ministers and their families and their houses, just trying to stop the truth. Not only that, but the truth has been martyred. Believers and pastors and leaders and missionaries for the last 10 years, 100,000 people a year die for the name of Jesus Christ. People are dying for the truth. We have so many people today all over the world who are being persecuted for the truth. Yet, the truth prevails. When in reality, through history, for the last 2,000 years, they haven't been able to ban it. They haven't been able to burn it. They haven't been able to bury it. They haven't been able to get rid of it. They haven't been able to block it. They haven't been able to martyr it. It just keeps showing up because the truth unlike a lie, will begin to move itself like oil above water. The truth will prevail. And there will be a day at the end of all things that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess because the truth will prevail. Anybody thankful that the truth prevails? Jesus said the truth will set you free. Though the truth has been attempted to be blocked and banned and buried and martyred, there is one attack on the truth that is very sinister. Very, very sinister. And very hard to deserve. It is this. The most sinister thing to happen to the truth is that it has been mixed with lies. So you can ban it. Doesn't matter, it's gonna come back out again. You can try to burn it, and you can try to mar, you can try to get rid of it, but somehow truth just keeps coming out. But there is something so sinister when truth and error are mixed. Like rat poison to the rat. It tastes good to the rat. I brought some. We have a huge rat problem here at the church. Just kidding. They don't come here no more. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. I just got here. I don't know who's not here. (laughs) Tastes good to the rat, has no idea that while, what they're, while they are eating it, it's actually destroying them. I think it was Pastor Nick Saban who said, <laughs> anybody know where I'm going? He got onto the media for what he called rat poison. Anybody remember that? He got onto the media because they would always say they're going to win, they're going to win, they're going to win. And he said, it's not good for my players to hear they're always going to win. So it tastes good for them to hear that. But it's actually hurting their motivation. And they won't work as hard. And he actually said the week that they were the underdogs and they would win, he said, that rat poison tasted yummy. Remember that? Remember what that false prophet said? (laughs) Just kidding. Rat poison. (laughs) It sounds good initially, it seems like it makes sense, it's reasonable, it it sounds like it could be true, sounds like it could be biblical, sounds good, but ultimately isn't good for us. He says, you need to grow in the truth. Watch verse eight, it says this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Rat poison. He goes, you need to grow in the truth because in verse eight, there are gonna be people who come who try to capture you or spoil you. Can you leave that verse up for a moment? Capture you, spoil you, take you. It gives the imagery of being kidnapped and carried off. How does it happen? Through empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. This rat poison, this captured, carried off thing happens. Because when you read down through the verse, you find there are these empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense. You know, as a youth pastor, I pastored a lot of students over the years and I've seen a lot of them come to Jesus. I've seen a lot of them get baptized and I've also seen a lot of them be carried off. My dad's a pastor, been in ministry my whole life. Seen a lot of married couples coming to Jesus, growing in their faith, but over time, carried off. I've met great pastors, love God, love the Bible, love their sheep, but somewhere along the line, some philosophies got in, some high-sounding nonsense got in, and now they're carried off. Am I talking to anybody? Paul is letting us know That it is extremely important that your belief system and your worldview be biblical or you will be carried off. It's not just enough to say, "I, I give my life to Jesus, I'm all better. That's important. We want that for you. We preached on that last week. But as you continue, he says, now that you've given your life to Jesus, you must continue, continue, you need to grow in your faith, you need to grow deep your roots into his word, into his truth, build your life on something significant on his word, and be careful that you don't eat rat poison that comes from this vain deceit, the King James says, Used 19 times in the New Testament, and every single time it's used, it's used correlated with the works of the devil. There is something so precious to God between your ears, your belief system, your values, your worldview. It all originated from human thinking, and he says, demonic influences. Demonic influences. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. This is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter, later times, toward the end of times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. This is in your Bible. People who were in the faith departed because at some point they begin to eat something that tasted good, hear something that sounded right, believe something that made sense to them was a reasonable argument, when in reality they've now departed from the faith because they are believing teachings and the doctrine of devils. And the crazy thing about deception is you have no idea you are deceived. That's the scary thing about deception, is that you have no idea that you are deceived. There are lies today that are being perpetrated as truth. And I want to just take some time and knock out three of them today. Is that all right? There are some things I hear in culture that I hear in the world that is starting to slip in the church. And we're going to talk about that today. Because some of the things that are being perpetrated among believers, maybe even from pulpits, are not doctrines of the word, I believe are doctrines of the devil. You ready? The first one, this one. Love wins. Love wins. On the surface, it seems harmless and correct. After all, love is biblical, isn't it, Pastor Ethan? You need to let people love who they love and want what they want. Let love transcend our differences and we could all just live in harmony. This gives the idea that you cannot speak into or correct anything that may be against the teaching of God's word because you'll be considered a bigot, uneducated, narrow-minded, because love wins, Pastor Ethan. Well, I hate to... Burst your bubble. But that definition of love is not biblical. The definition of love is this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves. And he punishes every son or corrects every son or daughter whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. So they say that stuff in the world, and they do that, that's whatever. But in the church, in the church, we need to understand that if God loves us, he'll correct us. If God loves us, he'll address some things in our lives that are not good for us, that are not healthy for us, that are not good for our marriage, that are not... Don't let that doctrine of demons slip into vibrant church or any church, and and a younger generation starts to believe that all we need is just love, and everybody, no, no, no. With love, the Bible says God is love, and also says that God is truth. So quit trying to choose one or the other, we've talked about this before, that we need to understand that God is a God of love. He can't help himself but to love. But true love will not let you make decisions that will destroy you. So people could email me and say, Pastor Ethan, you I can't believe you said that. You spoke against that. You preached against that. No, no, I didn't preach against it. Uh, the Bible speaks against it. And there are some worldviews and some lifestyle choices that are not biblical. And not even that. There's some gossip, or actually all gossip. Everybody goes to big sins, don't they? Like, oh yeah, that. Get them, preacher. But no one wants to talk about our long tongues, our gossip, our lies, our little white lies, our little this or that. If God loves you, which he does, he will speak to the things in your life that are not good for your life. Think about being a parent for a moment. If you love those kids, you're going to discipline those kids. If your kids are crazy, you're not going to be like, man, I just love them so much. I'm going to let them act crazy and end up in a prison cell because I love them that much. If you love your kids, you will correct your children. We discipline our children. We do what we have to do, why? Because we hate them? We don't like them? I mean, some days. (laughs) We don't always. (laughs) It's because we love them. It's the right thing to do. This idea that love wins, hashtagged everywhere, is verifying, what it is is trying to validate certain decisions and behaviors and culture And using biblical terms, and it can be confusing to people who don't know the truth well. It's a lie. It's mixed rat poison with truth. Here's another one. If it makes you happy, then do it. This basis of thinking leads us to live a life of selfishness making us the final authority in our lives. We are the judge and the jury. We decide how we want to live, what we want to do, what we want to say, how we want to say it, to who we want to say it to. And never consult God. (laughs) It's dead quiet this morning. This time change is making us all feel something. Something. We, we, we want to do things the way we wanna do things. We wanna say things the way we wanna say things. And so our feelings become ultimate truth. Because after all, I wouldn't feel like this if this wasn't true and if I didn't want this, this God would take it from me. If I didn't, you know, I feel like this. I've sat with people over the years, Pastor Ethan, this is how I feel, it must be God. Are you crazy? I just love her. It, I, I, there's no other explanation than divine touch. No, it's called divine stupid. That's what's going on right now. How you feel cannot be true. How you feel cannot be the truth. And people going around saying uh, that I have a truth and you have a truth and we have truths and, and, and it's all relative to people's experiences and their decisions. I need you to hear me today. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's only one truth. And the devil wants to make this truth conversation a moving target. Because he never wants you to ever pin your, pin your like sights on real truth. So he's gonna confuse even Christian people to believe that there is relative truth and people believing, well, that's their experience and this is reality and this is how they feel. And if they are attracted to that or they feel that way or this, at the end of the day, we as Christians have to decide that we are governed objectively by the word of God. I need you to hear me that our feelings and the word of God oftentimes do not line up together. This is why it's called faith. The scripture lets us know that we don't walk by sight. We don't walk by feelings. We don't walk by what we feel. We don't walk by our emotions. We walk by what the word of God says. And if the Bible says he's with me, I may not feel it, but I know by faith he's with me. Am I helping anybody? That you know by faith that God is with you, and and, and saved you, and healed you, and restoring you, and leading you. I don't feel like God's leading me, but I'll tell you right now, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is leading you into all truth. So let your life be submitted to the government of God's word, and not your feelings. And ask yourself, what does God want? What is God's desire? What does his word say? What have I heard at church? What I need someone to help me. And not live your life connected to the way you feel as truth. If you like it, just do it. If she's hot, just whatever. If this, this, if we wanna live together, it just feels right. No, 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 no. At some point, the word of God has to be what you place your reality into. All right, hear what I'm saying? Here's another one. Here's another one. I'm a good person. That's all that matters, Right? I heard this one two weeks ago and I was at a store and I was talking to an individual, doesn't go to church here, and they told me, you know, we go to church and, and you know, we're good people. We're good people and that's all that matters, right? And I hate to tell you this, there's really only been one true good person. Our scale of being good is really relative to the people we see that we think are bad. So we like, we are more approving of our sins than the sins of others because we judge ourselves by our intentions and everybody else by their actions and so we make a scale of relative goodness like I'm really good because I'm not Vladimir Putin or I haven't haven't had a bad thought today or I haven't cussed out I don't hit my wife he hits his wife or you know he they cheat on their I don't cheat on my tax. So all of a sudden we start thinking that we are really good people. And that's faulty thinking because it's not really how good we think we are because that is based on how bad we believe others are. What we have to understand is that Jesus was the only true good person. We are part of the problem, not the solution, just so you know. There was only one true pure person that walked this earth. The Bible says was tempted in all points like as we yet without sin. When Jesus went to the cross, he went and died. We are righteous in him. And there's not one drop of righteousness outside of Christ. Not one drop. Not one drop. So you can't stand before God thinking I'm a good person. You only get to stand before God because you accepted Jesus Christ. And when you come to him, you are saved by grace through faith. Everything he did and everything you didn't, how you got saved. And how you stay saved. Romans chapter 3, 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We are in need of salvation and only Christ can give it. So this idea that I'm a good person, my mama went to church, my daddy was a deacon, my grandma, made, my grandma let the preacher stay at our house when he was a kid, ain't got nothing to do if you go going to heaven or not. You can try to impress everybody with your moral values and standards and you what flag you fly at your house and all this, and what you post on your social media, but according to the word of God, your best day, the scripture says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. So even on your best day, you're still not that good. It would be like me bringing LeBron James in here, standing him right there, and telling him, why don't you jump up and touch that ceiling, LeBron? And then me standing right next to him and telling him I'm going to touch the ceiling too. Well, here's the thing. He can jump a lot higher than me, but he ain't still touching that ceiling. The reality of it is God's standard is so high. So even if you're morally sound in our culture today, you still don't reach the ceiling of God's standard. So how it works is the standard came down, wrapped himself in flesh, went to a cross, died and bled for you so that you can stand in the presence of God. Is there anybody thankful for grace? But I'm a good person and it's just this rat poison we gotta be careful with. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7 that people will stand before God and said, didn't I cast out devils in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do all? Wasn't I like good on earth? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. Somewhere along the line, somebody, according to the word of God, will stand before God and not get eternal joy, never walk into eternal life. Because somewhere along the line, they believe something. Second Timothy chapter four says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Accumulate themselves podcasts to suit their own passions. Accumulate themselves educators to suit their own passions. YouTube videos to suit their own passions. Passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That word there, not endure. They will not be able to endure sound teaching. That word means to not tolerate or to become more tolerant of other views. Now I need you to catch this. Some would argue that that's just the problem. Pastor Ethan We just need to be more tolerant of other views. This whole idea of truth being exclusive isn't loving. It isn't correct, it's not right. Now I need you to hear this, I read this this week and I wanna share it with you. The Western world has actually experienced a radical redefinition of tolerance. Dr. D.A. Carson explains the difference between the old tolerance and what is now called the new tolerance and this is the definition, it's gonna go on the screen. The old, the old one was this, accepting the existence of different views to acceptance of different views. I'm going to read it again. Accepting the existence of different views was once the idea of being tolerant, has now moved into acceptance of different views views. Tolerance once meant recognizing other people's right to have different beliefs or practices now means approving and accepting the differing views of other people as truth. Do you see the profound implications of that subtle shift? Under the old definition, two people disagree without abandoning their position. They naturally thought the other idea was mistaken But tolerated the ideas nonetheless. Tolerance is an awareness and an acceptance. This idea now is that tolerance is now considered, we're not just aware, but we now accept the views of others. And I want you to hear me. Tolerance is not accepting other views as truth. Tolerance is being aware of differing views, period. It's being aware of other ideas and other beliefs and other thoughts. An elderly Bible theologian who was kicked out of his denomination in Canada for preaching against certain sins. When he was asked what he believed was the biggest threat to the gospel of the next generation, you know what he said? Tolerance. Not not the devil. Not disunity, not church giving, tolerance. This accepting more and more of mixing truth and lies is what the elder theologian told the young preacher. This is the danger of the future of the church. As we begin to mix truths with lies, it begins to become more and more difficult to discern truth. More and more difficult to find out what's right and wrong, what's black and white, what's true and not true. It's getting harder and harder because more and more people are deceived. Booker T. Washington, in closing, he said this, a lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. In other words, truth isn't measured by the amount of people who believe it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 in the message translation, really a paraphrased translation, it says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well for maturity in you. Here's my point for you today. Stand firm in truth. We're talking about stand firm. You have to stand firm in knowing. We're not mixing rat poison with the preaching of the gospel. We're not mixing rat poison with raising our kids. We're not mixing rat poison So maybe what that looks like, maybe you have to turn off a movie. Like there's some rat poison in that. That's a little misleading. Can you imagine, can you imagine how important this is? What would the world look like? What would our families look like if people really stood firm in truth? Like just five months from now, if people said, no, no, this is what the word of God says. What would it look like in our communities? I was looking at this bag earlier before service and it says it's at the bottom. Keep out of reach of children. If you will let yourself eat in moderation rat poison, the children eat it in excess. You are the standard from which they are watching. And if truth is valued in your life, it will be valued in their life. Keep this out of the reach of children. Grow into truth. Don't give up in believing what the gospel teaches and what the word of God teaches. And it may not be popular today. Like this kind of stuff, people don't necessarily love to hear. This is the kind of stuff that doesn't get response and shouting and clapping, but truth needs to be thought about. Maybe you don't need to shout and clap right now. Maybe you need to reconsider where you've let rat poison in in your th- worldview or your thinking or your life or your business. Or Have you been mixing some things when it used to be black and white? It's like the Word of God is a detector, a lie detector, that picks up irregularities very quickly. Grow in truth. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, actually, last night, Pastor Aaron, I was thinking about this, you know. The Bible tells us about Jesus being, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. Jesus declares himself as truth. The Bible lets us know that truth was put on trial. The Bible lets us know that truth was then beaten with the cat of nine tails. The Bible lets us know that truth beard was pulled from his face. The scripture then informs us more that they spit on truth and they smote truth, blindfolded truth, told truth or asked truth, who hit you? You know truth know who hit him. Didn't say a word. They take truth to a cross, put nails through his hands, and I, for about six hours, truth hangs there breathing, suffering, bleeding, and truth dies. They take truth and put him in a borrowed tomb. And it's at this point that all of hell thinks they finally got truth. Finally. We've concealed it. We've shut it down. There's no more. We're done with that. No more problems with God. Truth. Is dead, not only is he dead, we're gonna make sure he stays in there and rolls a tomb in front of the door of Jesus. One day passes, truth is still dead. Don't hear nothing, don't see nothing. The disciples are concerned and people are worried. Day number two, nothing's happening. But on the third day, but on the third day. Truth could not be kept dead. Truth could not stay dead. Truth could not be overpowered on the third day. And if there was anything the devil didn't want, was that stone to roll away. I bet he thought if he could just raise from the dead, I'm cool with that, just don't come out. Because if the truth gets out, the truth will still heal, the truth will still deliver, the truth will still set free, the truth will still set people free from addiction and drugs. Is there anybody thankful the truth got out? The truth got out. The devil keeps telling you, if the truth gets out about you, what if the truth gets out about him? What if we remember he still heals and delivers? The truth will set you free. Stand firm in the truth. Don't give up on the truth. That long Galilean leg stepped out of that tomb that day. And the the angel said to the people who came, why seek ye the living among the dead? I know I'm just a little bit early for Easter, but is there anybody thankful? Jesus, the truth, the Lamb of God, who was slain from the foundations of the earth. Truth stepped out. Truth still sets free. Truth can walk on water. Truth can walk into courtrooms. Truth can walk into a bedroom. Truth can step into places Is there anybody thankful for the truth today? Can I pray with you today with eyes closed? Father, we thank you today for truth. We thank you today for your word. We thank you that we will be people who will not eat the rat poison, who will live a life committed to your word, committed to your ways, committed to your foundational truths. We will not be mixing things. Help us to perceive and to discern false teachings. Help us to live a life that is open to you. In Jesus' name. With eyes closed, if you're in the room and you say, man, I need truth in my life, if he could go to a grave and step out he can find me wherever I'm at. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, I need Jesus' help me this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I need, I need some truth, I need some truth. God, bless every hand, every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And I pray truth will set them free. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, are you thankful for the presence of God today?